0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
2: Welcome everyone to a special episode of Finsider Daily right here on the Finsider, part of the SB Nation Network. And on today's episode, we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Miami Dolphins' 27-14 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football. We then discuss the Kenyan Drake trade at the Arizona Cardinals, Akeem Talib to Miami, and Xavier Howard on the injured reserve. All of this and more on today's episode of FinCider Finsider Daily. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void or prohibitive. Here's the worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Finsider Daily. I'm your host, Josh Houts. You can follow me on Twitter at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z. And I am joined by a very special guest today, Jake Mendel. You can follow him on Twitter at JMendel94. How are you doing today, Mendy?
3: Doing pretty good, you know, work's wrapping up, pretty exciting, just to kind of walk out of the building,
2: and you know, it's always a special day when I get to talk Miami Dolphins football with you. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man, and a lot has happened over the last 72 hours for the Miami Dolphins. Let's kick it right off with, you know, the one of the first dominoes to fall, and that was the Kenyan Drake trade to the Arizona Cardinals. We know it was for a 2020 conditional sixth-round pick. I'm not really sure what can change that into a fifth-round pick, but we know if it Kenyon Drake does X amount of things. That could be a fifth round pick a fifth round pick that the Miami Dolphins gave to the Cardinals in that Josh Rosen So That is a very high fifth round pick. Uh, Kenyon Drake's going there. We know they have David Johnson's banged up. Chase Edmonds is hurt. So Kenyon Drake in that offense. I mean, I see a lot of value there. I think, Good things could come, especially for some of those fantasy owners that held on to Kenyon Drake through all that, you know, the the thick and the thin there with Miami. So tell me what you think about this trade. I mean, I don't think anyone was kind of surprised by it. We knew Kenyon Drake in a contract year was going to get moved by the deadline. But tell me your thoughts on this trade and, and how you see it working out, not only for Kenyon Drake and the Arizona Cardinals, but for Mark Walton and the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. See, the
3: thing I think is the most interesting about this whole thing is when um, I think it was Barry Jackson came out with a tweet. He said the Dolphins wanted to keep Kenyon Drake, and I think the real reason behind that is because this is the type of guy you want a young quarterback to have. I mean, you think about David Johnson and Chase Edmonds both being hurt, and all of a sudden you have a young quarterback like Kyle Mur- Kyler Murray, excuse me, who looked kind of lost out there against the Saints last Sunday after both those guys went down, having to carry the workload on his own. When you have someone like Kenyon Drake come in. It gives you that flexibility of, hey, you know, the offense is struggling. Can you tear off a big 60-yard run? Sure, he can do that. He, he's got that big play potential. He can catch it to the backfield. And I think that's why Chris Greer, uh, Brian Flores, all these guys really wanted to keep Kenyon Drake in Miami because he is just a guy that can be very comfortable around a rookie quarterback and be a really great, great, you see, hear the word safety blanket, yeah, and just I- that type of guy.
2: Yeah, I completely agree, and I think we were all uh, we're all excited to see what he could do in that air raid offense. We, I kind of joked about it. You know, a lot of us wanted Kyler Murray in Miami. Now we get to see those RPOs there with Kenyon Drake in Arizona. Again, the Dolphins just keep acquiring draft picks, and the next move was kind of uh, – I know some people are mixed on it, but the Dolphins essentially gave up a – 2022 seventh round draft pick in exchange for a keep who we all know is 33 years old he's currently on the injured reserve list he may honestly never play a down for the Miami Dolphins in exchange for that four million dollars plus four million plus in cap space to let his contract pretty much die on the books this season to me that is a win-win situation it's essentially Chris Greer going out there and saying you know what let's just continue to build Upon that war chest of draft picks that we've done all off season long, I think the Dolphins have, what is it, 14 maybe, even more draft picks. I know a lot of those compensatory picks are going to be sorted out at the end of the season, but to Talib, I mean, that was the one move that happened during the trade deadline that, I mean, no one thought the Dolphins were going to go out there and do anything, and again, it's not that big of a move because it's essentially them just giving up a – Seventh round draft pick again in 2022. That is three years down the road in exchange for a fifth round draft pick next year. To me, it's just a it's a no brainer. And a lot of people, I I don't know how you've, I don't know if you've been on Twitter or if you go on Reddit or anything like that. But there are some people that seriously don't understand or, or are a little bit upset by this move. So help them understand it. I mean, is there anything to not like about this move? And what are your thoughts on it? Do you think that? We know Akeem Talib has some familiarity with Brian Flores. We know when he's healthy, he is a pretty darn good shut defensive back. So, I mean, if the Dolphins were for some reason to, you know, go out there next year and, and give him a modest deal and you pair him alongside Xavier Howard, I mean, that's a pretty good tandem. But I don't know that that's going to happen. Again, I don't think he's going to play a single down for the Miami Dolphins this year. Tell me your thoughts on this trade. Is there anything to like? Is there a lot to dislike? Tell, tell me what you think think about it
3: uh the first thing i kind of thought is friday news dump in in today's uh world and i hate being that type of guy as a 25 year old i hate to bring up today's world but we are going to try to dissect and really jump into every sort of uh move or or decision every team makes and this is just one of those it was like a friday news dump where yes it's a to play where you spend about $4 million for a fifth-round pick, and in the grand sc- scheme of things, you're just hoping to get as many shots at that dartboard as you can. Um, I thought about maybe Tlaib as maybe a compensation pick and how that could get involved with the formula. However, it's important to keep in mind the Dolphins are going to be very active in free agency come this offseason, so that's just going to be a mute point. Um This is the type of signing, though, if you want to dig a step deeper into that compensation pick, maybe the Dolphins do give him a prove-it deal next year. Hopefully the Dolphins spend most of their money on – expensive prove-it deals, where they start rejuvenating some compensation picks in, in terms of getting these players the chance to succeed. They come in and they play up to their contract because they're looking for maybe one or two more big long-term deals. And Tlaib might not play it down, but listening to Brian Flores today during his pro- press conference, excuse me, on Wednesday's press conference, um, there was a little disconnect between Tlaib and the Miami Dolphins, where Tlaib said he wasn't even going to come down to Miami. He was just going to stay in L.A. And Flores said that seemed like the idea of moving, or at least early on, between these two, but there seemed a disconnect on near the end of the season when Tlaib can be active, what the plan is really going to be. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shapes up and how interesting to see if Tlaib is willing to play those two games or if the Dolphins are interested in maybe seeing him uh, suit up in a Dolphins uniform maybe in 2020.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned the Dolphins throwing some of that money towards, you know, these prove-it deals and free agency. They have $130 million. I mean, I don't think anyone can sit here and dispute. They're going to be very active. Again, this is probably going to be the most – Uh, You know, the most significant offseason in Miami Dolphins history. Just to name off a few fifth-round picks, I kind of did a quick search on the internet. You know, Zach Thomas was a fifth-round pick, Rashad Jones, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, George Kittle, Josh Norman, Tyreek Hill, Trent Cole, Ronnie Harrison. Cannot forget about Bobby McCain, Devon Godshaw, Jay Ajayi. So there are some pretty – there is some value there with those fifth-round picks. And, again, they're giving up a pick three years down the road in the very last round of the draft for a fifth-round pick this coming year. Again, worst-case scenario, leave as a free agent next year. Best case, you know, they got that fifth-round pick, and maybe they throw a modest contract at him. You pair him alongside Xavier Howard, and, and that would cause fits for offensive coordinators. Uh, another cornerback move that went took place, I think it was yesterday, the Miami Dolphins announced that Xavier Howard, their 25-year-old shutdown defensive back, is going to be put on IR for the rest of the year. Uh, we know he had a significant role in that third and 20 play that a lot of people, you know, that was the epitome of a tank right there. The Dolphins, that before the timeout, they seemed to be playing coverage, you know, trying to keep everything in front of them, and then they came out and they did the engage eight from from Madden. I don't know. What were your thoughts on that before we get into the Xavier Howard? uh, You know, he's going to IR. It's kind of the smart thing for the Miami Dolphins to do. They're not going to win any games this year, or they're really not going to compete at all this season, I should say. Uh, Shutting him down, a guy that's had – Prior knee injuries, Uh, it seems like the smart move. What are your thoughts on that? Again, he just got a five-year, $75 million contract. So this is an investment. This is a guy that is going to be a key cog in that defense moving forward. What were your thoughts on that? Good, bad? does Does it have any significant outcome on how the 2019 Miami Dolphins season will go moving forward?
3: Uh, I don't think so. And because I guess simply put the dolphin, the dolphin's defense is still pretty terrible. Um, but you can kind of see it, when Xavier Howard's out there, the he seems to be a step above everybody else, just just the the energy he brings to a team, you notice the interception. He seemed to have guys blanketed um, all evening. There was an offensive pass interference call against him, and as a Miami Dolphin fan, you never, ever, ever see offensive pass interference calls. It's always your guy holding on. It's always uh, your guy pushing off, you know, but but for someone to have to, you know, push Howard off is just also incredible to watch because I think he could have intercepted that ball too. And you brought up that uh, engage eight play, yes, the, the blitz on third and 20, and it's important to keep in mind here that the Dolphins like this is their identity they don't have a secondary that can block anyone or cover anyone outside of Xavier Howard so they went all out it's if we're if we sack them great if we don't get that rush there right away they're going to complete this anyway so I get the play call I understand it I'm okay with it I mean I'm I don't get why fans are hung up on a single play in a season that's going to be a zero to, you know, two wins max type of season. I just don't understand the the fake outrage. It's like it's just every week they're looking for something to be annoyed with. Yes, you could have played it safe and they could have kicked a field goal. But I mean it was at a point where if Pittsburgh starts to score any points, you saw what the dolphins offense did for the rest of the night after scoring 14 points early, they did not exist. So I'm sure Flores understood that the offense probably reached its limit. we probably got our 14 points for the night. We're going to call it. You think back to the Buffalo game too. They had a, a- halfway they scored 14 points and then after that there was seven garbage points in the fourth quarter but outside of that the offense really struggled Flores was probably thinking yes it's third and 30 but we're going to do everything we can to push them out of field goal range he's thinking they're probably going to try to throw deep a Hail Mary type of thing and, and they just got beat it was a simple play that they got beat and I don't understand the Dolphins are 0-7 they've got beat quite a bit why fans are upset about that
2: yeah and for a team that you know many people want to see them tank I mean it was kind of you know it From there on, I mean, that game completely shifted. And you mentioned fake outrage. There was nothing fake about Brian Flores' outburst on the sidelines. I think it was a fourth and one call. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, it looked like originally he got the first down. They reviewed it. It appeared his knee was down. He came up short. Brian Flores was was upset, and for everyone that wants to sit here and talk about the Dolphins tanking, you know, maybe it was a front office thing. I don't think anyone would argue that. You know, maybe Chris Greer and and Stephen Ross and, you know, Reggie McKenzie and and Marvin Allen, they want to see, you know, they want to get those high draft picks. They want to have those opportunities at the Tua's and the Chase Young's and, those elite players at the top of the draft board. But the players and the coaches, they have no interest in tanking, and it's a little bit insulting to them. I mean, we saw it with Brian Flores in that two-point conversion attempt against Washington. You know, he looked devastated. He looked like someone, you know, just ran over his cat or something. He he was absolutely heartbroken when that play failed. And then you saw his fourth down, and, I mean, it's something that you have not seen out of a coach in, in years. I mean, Joe Philbin, I've never seen any emotion out of that guy. You know, he reminds me of Lurch from the Adams family. Never really smiled, never got upset. And then Adam Gase, you know, when in a situation like that, he'd be on the sidelines sitting next to, you know, an, the invisible ghost. And he would just be sitting there drawing up plays that would never work. So to see that fire, that passion out of your head coach, you continue to see these players, you know, go above the skills that they have. I mean, uh, I'm going to sit here and say, you know, the Miami Dolphins probably have the worst roster in the NFL right now. And, and if not, it's close and they're going out there and they're playing better than some of these teams, than the Jets who went out there and spent all that money on a Le'Veon Bell, on some of these other teams that, you know, have these elite players. The Miami Dolphins really don't have that aside from an Xavier Howard and a few pieces here and there. They're playing above and beyond what many expected, and you got to give tip your hat to Brian Flores. What are your thoughts on Brian Flores? I mean, a couple weeks ago, you know, some fans, and it was crazy to think of, they they may have sat there and believed that, Brian Flores could be on the hot seat. The report came out, Brian Flores is not on the hot seat. You know, this was kind of always what people envisioned in 2019. No, this team wasn't going to compete. It was going to be a dead season, and they were building for something potential in the future. So what are your thoughts on Brian Flores, and what were you thinking when you sat there and saw him just, you know, go off on the sideline? Because if, for anyone that could read lips, you know, he, he was very, very upset.
3: Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key here is I think Brian Flores knew what he was getting into when he came here, I think he knew the type of roster he'd be dealt. And I'm sure if he didn't, if he was told, hey, you got to win games, you got to prove yourself in terms of wins and losses, uh, then they probably would have kept guys like Ryan Tannehill. However, I mean, Joe Phil, or excuse me, Stephen Ross has said himself that, you know, the 7 and 9 Dolphin teams aren't any better than the teams that go 3 and, and, and 13 that that year. The only difference is they get the better draft pick and they get to improve their roster. What the Dolphins are doing here is, yes, they have a terrible roster, but you see guys like Vince Beagle and, and John Jenkins are two that really John Jenkins, I think that's his name, I hope that's his name, um, that have really stepped up and are really making a name for themselves as guys who, you mentioned it, on a terrible roster. What Flores is doing, he's showing his worth, he's showing that, hey, he, he's going a step above. This, this, if this team got blown out you know 59 to 10 like they did week one against baltimore everybody would expect that and still Flores won't be fired however he's taking that roster that rightfully so should be blown out 59 to 10 most weeks and he's making the most out of it you hear the old saying i'm sorry if i can't swear on this but he's turning chicken shit into chicken salad he's showing you some sort of progress with this team and i think that's really impressive the hearts there the energy's there um I do a lot of things where I read the transcripts, I, I read the press releases, and you can't really get the tone or, or the confidence level of Flores or, or just his personality. But once you listen to him, once you actually you know watch a press conference of his, you start to understand the the, the intensity of this guy and what he's really trying to accomplish and how he really feels. And, and if you do that, it's really hard to see a guy who's not trying to win, who's not trying to Build a good football team and, and that's kind of exciting for what the Dolphins have done despite being 0 and seven.
2: Yeah, and it absolutely should give fans hope for the future. I'm gonna, you know, paraphrase and I'm gonna leave out some words, omit some words in it, but he basically told the coach to F out of here with that BS when the the coach was sitting there, you know, trying to defend that call. It was just it was awesome to see your head coaches go out there and pretty much lay into the, co- the the referees because, again, it's just not something you've seen. We're going to talk on it real quick before we get out and get on our way here. Uh, you know, this was a nice episode of Finsider Daily. I am very, very thankful to have you on the show, Jake. Uh, let's talk about the Dolphins-Steelers game. I mean, real quick, just run us through what you thought about it. 27-14, we know Minka Fitzpatrick came back. He had two interceptions, but those were very, very skewed. I mean, one deflected off Nick O'Leary that ended up getting him cut from the team. The other one was essentially a punt from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, you know, we talked about a third and 20. We talked about Flores' outburst. Ryan Fitzpatrick, another pretty good game. I mean, he started off very well, and then things kind of went south again with those two interceptions. He had a fumble later in the game. It came out today. You know, Brian Flores said Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starting quarterback moving forward because he does give them the best chance to win football games. I don't think anybody can argue that. But just overall, you know, we saw Jerome Baker get his quarterback, you know, all throughout the game. You, you mentioned Vince Beagle. I mean, that is a guy that I think leads – Leads the team in pressures right now. And he was essentially a throw-in in in that Kiko Alonso trade. So you got to be excited about him. Taco Charlton, a guy who I absolutely loved. Uh, You know, Rayquan McMillan. So you keep naming off these players. Even Christian Wilkins had a solid game. So, you know, we say here, we talk about how the Dolphins might have this depleted roster and they don't have any of these superstar players, but they do have a young core that, you know, eventually could become those superstars. So so give me your overall thoughts on this game. Personally, you know, it was kind of what you'd expect. Mason Rudolph, you know, kind of put things together later on. James Conner did what you would expect him to do against the Dolphins defense. But what were your thoughts at the end of that 27-14 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night?
3: Um, I think it was, uh Louis Riddick of, of ESPN he said that anybody who's in the NFL can can make any play once but the ones that are full-time starters are the guys that can do it consistently and that's kind of what we saw out of the Dolphins especially that that it was 14 points in the first half um, I kind of thought it'd be a game where the Dolphins would lead for roughly a half and then the final score wouldn't necessarily tell the story of the whole game because it, if you look at the stats it looked like you know Pittsburgh kind of handled it throughout but, but I don't really think that was the case. You went through a lot of guys you liked so I'm just going to kind of spit off a couple disappointments Pointing performances. Uh, Mark Walton of the 11 carriers for 35 yards. You really wanted to see more out of, out of the, the young running back. You wanted to see him really grab that running back spot and really run with it. No pun intended and show that he could be the guy moving forward, but he didn't really do that. Um, another one for me was um, Albert Wilson. It's exciting to see him back. I love seeing him on the football field. I love watching him play football, but to only have one catch, yes, it was a touchdown, that five-yard reception. He made it look incredibly easy. You could see the the simplicity of the red zone that the Dolphins have always struggled with, how it's just a little bit of pre-snap motion and how easy it is to find that open guy to make a guy get open. Uh, but I was really hoping to see more out of him outside of that one reception. And then finally, I think I'm going to go with, he didn't have a bad game, but I wanted to you know see the hype continue to grow, and that's the Devante Parker. Yes, he averaged about 10 yards of reception. Six, six, uh, he snagged six balls, excuse me, for 59 yards. But I was really hoping he'd get a touchdown for the fourth straight week and maybe even have one of those games where he just completely dominates it. And you start to see, all right, this is yep, this is a number one type of wide receiver. Except we didn't see that against a everyone said this Pittsburgh defense is good, but it's really been when you break down the statistics, they're really middle of the road. And I think that's kind of a little annoying.
2: Yeah, and we you sp- Speak about the hype, and we kind of wanted to see it from Devontae Parker. Mike Jasecki, I mean, two catches, mm-hmm. 10 yards. That was a guy that, you know, we thought the world of him, we thought he was finally starting to bring it together. He was kind of just you know irrelevant another guy in this game one name to bring up and it was kind of early in the game but just seemed like Preston Williams you know he was dominant early on it looked like every you know every play was going to him they just kept feeding him and I think he was matched up with Joe Hayden he was just you know whooping Joe Hayden I had four receptions 42 yards then in that second half you know he kind of just went AWOL just like the offense you know it's just every week it's the same thing they come out of the gate strong you know they they make it a competitive game in the first half and then things just don't, there's just no changes or, you know, maybe the, their opponent is scheming against them and just out coaching them. I don't know what it is. Again, maybe it's because the dolphins aren't as talented as these other teams that they're playing, but it overall was a good game. It was nice to see the dolphins go out there and at least make an exciting matchup on Monday night football. They're wearing their throwbacks. So for me, I'm excited to see what they can do moving forward. We know they're taking on Adam Gase. You know, a lot of us keep, remembering that Denver Broncos game where Gase went, you know, they, he went against his former team and he was kicking onside kicks, you know, up like three or four touchdowns. I'm scared that that might be what the Dolphins' future entails. But, again, the Jets are terrible. Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. I don't know. Give me a prediction real quick of what you think, uh, you know, Sunday's game on the spot, under your head. What will be the final score of that Dolphins-Jets game this Sunday?
3: I really think the Dolphins are going to continue this trend of, of- having a relatively decent game into the half before everything falls apart. Uh, I'm going to say probably, you know, I think Gase is going to try that again in Miami, try to just, you know, metaphorically flip that middle finger at the crowd. Um, I'm going to say 23-10 uh, New York Jets.
2: Jake, thanks for joining me here on the, the Finsider. Follow Jake Mendel on Twitter, jmendel94, for the Finsider Daily right here on the Finsider, part of the SB Nation Network.
1: 'Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one, yes we are.